Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast. Today's guest, Dr. Weston Spencer, has a nice practice in La Jolla, San Diego, California. Tells us about his journey from Loma Linda Dental School to practicing in Orange County in a couple practices. One's a DSO, one was a SARAC doc. And then he moved down to the La Jolla area, worked for another doc, and then had another practice appear to him because the endodontist he was talking to introduced him. How did he make that work? How did he change that practice? How did he grow that $500,000 practice into a $2.5 million practice in five years? Yes, 500 to 2.5 in five years. Do the math, pretty simple. And he talks, he gives a couple great pearls too about some things he did and the way he practices. I think you'll really like it. And he also had to get out of uh, an insurance plan with Delta Premier. And he didn't do it the normal way. He kind of was almost backed into it, but great story. Today, our podcast, and as always has been for the last few years, is sponsored by Kettenbach, Kettenbach Dental. Kettenbach has a new product, Vesalis Fill and Vesalis Flow. It's a light-cured nano-hybrid composite, highly filled at over 80%. It is a highly polishable and highly aesthetic, strong, durable restoration. It can be used anterior, posterior, very low shrinkage, so you are assured of long-term integrity at the margins and resistance of staining. It has a flex shade system from A1 to A4 that has a pronounced chameleon effect, and it covers the entire Vita Classic Shade, Vita Classic Shade Guide, as well as a bleach and an O2, O2 opaque shade. Remember Kettenbach, 877-532-2123. They have a rep in your area. Call them, hook it up. If you like the show, click like, share it with your friends. If you don't like it, tell me. Enjoy this show. Dr. Weston Spencer is our guest. Have a great day, everybody. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast and these are our stories. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast, Dr. Sonny Spira. Today we got a special guest, Dr. Weston Spencer. 
And Dr. Wesson Spinner, let me give you a little bit of his background, please. He's a highly accomplished cosmetic dentist and a key opinion leader for Strawman, Kerr, and Sprint Ray. His professional accomplishes accomplishments include scaling his private practice from 500 grand to 2.5 in just five years. Do the math, folks. 500 to 2.5 in five years. Co-founding an innovative dental partnership group and sharing his own growth secrets with other practice owner. He currently practices in La Jolla, California, what a beautiful part of the country. When Dr. Spencer is not serving the San Diego community, he's spending time with his wife, Ashley, and their five children. That'll keep you busy. Yes, he enjoys teaching his kids to ride bikes, skateboard, and swim in beautiful Southern California environment. And when he's not doing that with his family, you could find him in the ocean surfing somewhere between South Ponto Beach or Del Mar Beach. Join me and welcome Dr. Spencer. Weston, how you doing, man? Very good. Thanks, Sonny. I really am honored to be on this with you and, and talk some dentistry. So I'm really excited. Thank you. Super. Where'd you grow up? Where's home? Uh, Salt Lake City, actually. Uh, and that's kind of my origin story. Grew up uh, in Salt well, that's Lake. Oceanside. My father was a dentist. Salt Lake is Oceanside, right? I mean, like, <laughs> kind of the same thing. Uh, yeah, there's a great Salt Lake, but it doesn't smell good. You, you don't want to <laughs> surf out there, that's for sure. Uh, but Dude, great skiing, was... right? Snowboarding. Uh, grew up a snowboarder. Um, loved Utah. I love going back to Utah. It's a great place to be able to visit. But there are a lot of dentists in Utah, right? Very competitive city for dentistry. And uh, my grandpa was a dentist. So that's kind of what initially sparked uh, my desire to become a dentist, kind of watching him. He had a very small, you know, free op, um, very insurance based practice. Um, but he, no hygienist, just him for 50 plus years. He, he saw the same patient on day one that he opened his practice in the Cottonwood Mall and saw that same patient on his very last day practice over 50 years later. The future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patients. If you need help starting your membership plan, or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team. That's awesome. Yeah, very good. Just a good guy and took care of people. And I always wanted to do medicine, but um, I saw the way he was able to connect with people through dentistry. And I just liked that better. I, I felt the personal touch of that. And there was a little bit of the creative side I got from my mom in terms of artistry and stuff that I love that uh, kind of brought itself more towards dentistry. So that's kind of what initially sparked that for me. So what were your mom and dad? What were they doing? What were they up to? My dad's a CPA and and my mom is an artist. She she just always hustled and made, she was an arts and crafts dealer kind of. She made sweatshirts, t-shirts, buckets, painted. She's just an incredible artist and always found a way to sell stuff, you know? So she just, uh, I learned a lot of hard work from her and just put in the time and and always hustling and, and doing that. And same thing for my dad, just always working, provided what we needed to for the family for sure. But um but yeah, there was just this part about uh, wanting to do, you know, something in the medicine. I also got injured all the time. I spent so much time in the hospital. My Thankfully, my parents had good health insurance. But that's what initially kind of like, I want to be a doctor. I'm going to like be on the other side of this thing. 
you know, and as my grandpa pulled me in one day, he's like, if you're going to be a doctor, just come, just come hang out in my office for a day or two and watch what I do. And just make sure that dentistry is not for you before you apply to med school. And, and I did. Cool. I, love it. I love that. So they reached out, made a difference. Yeah. Now, was there anybody else in that path? I mean, did your grandfather have other other kids? That I mean, did, did none of his children go into dentistry? So or? my his son, my uncle, took over for that practice eventually, okay. and is still practicing to this day. Does a fantastic job. And again, it's a very well respected just family practice in Salt Lake City. And um, uh, I got into Loma Linda Dental School, um, and so I married I married a girl from Southern California, which I I don't know if they do this in New York, but in California, if you marry a girl from California, there's usually dotted line says that's where you're going to end up. Um, and, uh, and so we did, I mean, I ended up going to Southern California dental school at Loma Linda, which worked out great for us and kind of starting our family out. Um, but I kind of just like, ah, I don't know if I wanted to go back to California or back to Salt Lake again, it was very competitive and I already was kind of starting to create a lot of, uh, relationships and connections in Southern California. Uh, and so that's what kind of kept me here initially when I first graduated, I ended up uh, working part-time, so two to three days a week, was in a nice private practice um, in uh, in Huntington Beach area. Dr. Peter Hagen, a fantastic CEREC dentist, uh, taught me everything about CEREC from day one. And then the other half of my week, again, two to three days, kind of alternating, was in a Pacific Dental Services, so a, yeah. a, a DSO, DSO, right? One on the West Coast. One. Yeah. And so I kind of learned a little bit of both from there, right? I learned how to be fast and had to be fast and quick at PDS, you know, get in and out and do the thing and, and all that stuff and learned a lot of good customer service um, style things from uh, from the private practice. Uh, but ultimately, um, a, a guy reached out through the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry one day, uh, Dr. Paul Doherty, and he was practicing in La Jolla. He said, my associate left. How would you like to come work for me? I said, well, it's La Jolla, California. So you you had me at that, you know? Um, and so my wife and I drove down there, met him, and I started working part-time in his office. And then while I was doing that, I met another dentist in La Jolla who was going to sell. And that was where I, I ended up taking over a small four-op, um, mostly fee-for-service. It was uh, it was just Delta Premier was all that he had left when mm -hmm. I up started working for him so we had we maintained our delta premier relationship for many years but that was kind of uh, again uh, this is a few years out of dental school and still working part-time as associate part-time hustling as a new owner in a practice that i'm just kind of taking care of and learning the ropes of how to you know run a practice the business side of it too you know i had all the things that i was super passionate about in dentistry but learning to learning to be the business owner that 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 uh was like a hard few lessons early on right so so you left the dso and then you left the associateship with the the serac doc yeah all that was up in orange county so once i knew i was kind of moving towards la jolla i knew that i was going to be in san diego area we loved it it was beautiful i mean um and uh and again love the first opportunities but definitely different and the, sure. the, the doctor who gave me the opportunity aacd dr paul doherty he was strictly fee-for-service. So that was my first time really experiencing like, oh, these patients say yes, and they say it because they want to, 
they want good dentistry and it, it wasn't cheap by any means this is you know it was not like it was the highest crown fee i worked with at that point and patients were saying yes because they trusted us right and he built a really good reputation and he's like hey Wes, just he did the best job of teaching me like this is how you take care of somebody this is how an appointment should go don't rush it don't speed up like slow down do it right do it once they'll come back and they'll say yes the next time i was like okay and it it took a little bit because i was a little bit pds minded to be fair like i was like oh i got i gotta be in five places at once so i only have i'm gonna anesthetize here i'm gonna do that there i'm gonna like million things all at once and so i learned quickly to oh slow down take your time and um and spend time with the patient and help them understand why they're getting it and how they're getting it and, and that's where i learned a lot of that early on so when you graduated dental school what year was it uh 2010 2010 what's your debt service look like at that point uh just under just over 400k 400k now about, all in was about 90,000 um tuition supplies and then um and then just living costs we had, by the time i graduated we already had two kids so i was starting to dip into like living expenses loans yeah. all that stuff so we were a little over 4 425 i think by the time i i got out so just to put that in perspective, folks, right? That's 13 years ago. 400,000 13 years ago. Today is probably what, 5550? Five, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's not yeah. even 90K now anymore. Yeah. And then where'd you go to undergrad? BYU. BYU. Okay. All right. The Creamery, my favorite. Oh, you know, then you've been there. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Because I've been to Gordon's classes a couple of times. And then I'm like, I, I beeline down to the head Creamery. Yeah. And you make a good point, though, bringing up that up is like I had an advantage coming out of undergraduate because BYU is very inexpensive. Right. It's still I think I'm looking at my daughter might go there in the next year or two. And it's only seventy five hundred dollars a year. For, for, do you have to live there or no? No, I mean, that's tuition and kind of book and everything included. I mean, you're going to pay a little more for. No, no, I mean, all that you, stuff. you don't have to be a resident of Utah to enjoy. No, that, that no. Right. BYU is private. So it's hard to get in. You got to have great grades and good good scores to get in. Once you're in, it's subsidized by the Mormon Church. So seventy five hundred bucks is not a bad deal per year. So my undergrad debt was very low. Okay, but still, you packed it on with Loma Linda. So oh yeah. yeah. So you, you graduate in twenty ten, uh -huh. and by the time you graduated, you had two children when you graduated. Yes. Okay. So you work in. The CERAC office, you work in the DSO yeah. Pacific mm -hmm. for what? One, two years? Two years. Two years. Two years. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you, what, what's your thinking now? First of all, when you have that kind of debt over your head, which is for you, this is the first time you've had this, right? Yeah. Of and course. now there's no forgiveness. There's no delay. You don't get any. Uh, what do you call it? grace period? You go work here. Oh, here's your bill. Right. Yep. Did that did that change how you did certain things? Um, it was always there. I felt like I something about like I knew I had a lot I didn't have any time. I had no time to just sit around and wait to work. Right. I had to have a job right away and I was gonna be working at least five days a week, right? 
pushing it from day one. Um, it didn't, it didn't really, I'll be honest. I know it's a big number, but I knew it was like, Hey, this is going to take me 25 years to pay off. I'll be 53, 54 when I pay it off, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, depending on how things uh, shake out. So like, it's just, I I just got to put my head down and go to work. It is what it is. Like it costs X for me to pay that off. And so I got to make Y in order to support that, what I'm in. So I definitely had to be conscious of the jobs I take, the opportunities and the kind of, um, you know, practice I was going to work in and what those minimums might be initially. Right. But I never got a taste of what, um, you know, what you could do in dentistry in terms of really quality dentistry and people paying good, you know, for the the right amount for good quality dentistry until I, until I moved to San Diego and working for Paul in that he had this, you know, piece patients were paying up front. Uh, they took care of their own insurance issues. Like he just had them pay cash up front. And so then Mike, I was paid on collections. So it was easy because he was hundred percent collections, like day of service, you pay your bill. And you know, like it was, it was awesome. So, uh, and he had a really busy practice. He had 12 days of hygiene, you know, on a fee for service practice like that. So he was busy enough to handle an associate like me two to three days a week. Um, and, and I got the taste of like, Oh, you can make good money. And, and not feeling like you're trying to like sell a lot of dentistry, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what kind of helped me do that. But yeah, it was always on my mind, still is, right? Like, and, and with the constant things going on with student debt right now. So when, you know, when did I, you buy I, the practice? What year did you buy the practice? I ended up purchasing the practice from Dr. Jim Lovell, the smaller the practice. I think I, know, I think I know that name, 2014? Yeah. Well, you'll know Jim Lovell is an astronaut. There you go. Okay. Everybody knows the Jim Lovell. That's astronaut. Apollo 13. That's the guy. Yeah. Yeah. This was the dentist, Jim Lovell. That's no, his cousin. Uh, and, and okay. Yeah, set me up. Just, he was so kind. I mean, so, really the best possible situation. I, I met him because I was always looking for, you know, I, I could maybe be a partner in the, the fee-for-service practice I was working in, but... You know, it's taking time, and I think I was always going to be the second option. Yeah, vice president. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my the endodontist in town. I went to lunch with him. He said, "I know this Dr. Lovell is going to be retiring soon, and he hasn't found somebody to take over for him. And I know there's a lot of work because I'm I'm seeing it in the X-rays. Like I'm doing the root canal on 29. I'm telling you, 30 and 31 need some work too, and it's taking time to get through it all. I walked into his office that day. That, I had 20 minutes left to lunch. I walked into Jim's office. The office manager was nice enough to let me introduce myself to him, shook his hand and said, hey, Jim, <laughs> would love to meet and talk a little bit more about what you're doing and uh, learn learn from you. And oh, by the way, I'm up the road. If you ever need somebody to cover you for emergencies, um, happy to do it. You know, I'll do whatever it takes. And we went to lunch three or four times. Then I started associating for just a little, took about, you know, um, a year or two to kind of figure out exactly how we wanted to do the deal in 2014. I bought it. And then he stayed on for, you know, one day, maybe two days a week, even up through up until COVID at COVID, he officially retired. So that's interesting. So you have that conversation. He wants to sell. Yeah. But it's not, it's obviously not a fire. So it takes you a year to kind of work through things. Yeah. What, 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 he, he still like, what, wanted to work a little bit. Yeah. He still wanted to work a little bit. 
But he was also, he was definitely from a financial standpoint, he just wanted to work somewhere. He was fine financially. So there wasn't a lot of pressure from the, the deal and how much it was going to be worth and everything. I'll tell you what he said to me. He, he said, Wes, he's like, you're going to walk in here. He's like, I'm a very conservative dentist. And you're going to walk in here and you're going to see a lot of work that needs to be done. But if you try to bulldoze your way into this practice and do it all in the first six months, you're not going to have any patience to work on after that. So take your time, let them learn to trust you. Do what you got to do. If it's something major, do it, but let them learn to trust you. And I promise me, I promise you, you will have so many years worth of dentistry lined up for you. And that's exactly how it went. And it was so smooth. Like, and he was just, he set me up so nicely. I've never, I had a lot of friends that bought practices, but the the letter he sent out and how he set me up along the way was really kind and generous in helping me out and getting started. So now let's, the other doc that you're working for. Yeah. No problem with you going down the street working there? Ah, great question. Also, very kind and generous guy. He knew, he saw my personality type. He knew I wanted to own, right? I was always kind of driven, like, I, I'm going to be the owner of a practice. And, <laughs> and we, I, I look back on it, without a doubt, we could have been partners, for sure. But this fell in my lap. And he said, Wes, I know who Jim is. He's in town. He's two blocks down the road. I know who Jim is like you that that you couldn't pass that up. You just can't pass that up. Like I get it. And uh, you could always get that going. You guys could always bring it back together. Yeah. Well, and he, he did, he ended up finding the right guy to, to buy him out in the last couple of years. And it was great. And, and we've still remained friends. I still look at him as a big time mentor in terms of how I treatment plan. He got me involved in spear curriculum. So I, I early on went through all the spear study club a lot of the curriculum back in the day uh that set me up for you know multidisciplinary care in town here meeting the specialists all that stuff and and he's been kind ever since and it, and it never affected him he, he still has a really busy practice and i was able to step in and kind of do my own thing which was really cool and so i was honored that he gave me that space to do that so let me ask you this for people this because we've covered this a lot on different podcasts like what were the arrangements? Because what were the arrangements of when you purchased the practice? Because that's always a tricky thing. Yeah. If you're buying a practice that's a four day a week practice, and the okay. doctor, or the owner, wants to stay on two. Yep. It's not a two doctor practice. Nope. It's a one doctor practice. So now you you still have in your in your back pocket this doc that you're working at. So you Correct. said you continued to work there when you did this. Yeah. How was the deal structured for those of us that those listening that, okay, Hey, I'm, I'm doing this. The guy's selling the practice. He wants to stay on and work. There's so many different red flags that go up or yellow flags that can go up. And it all depends on the person and the personality. Cause we have yeah. purchased a number of practices from guys retiring and stuff like that and some have worked well where the person stayed and some of them they needed to they needed to get out because they had retired a while earlier and they hadn't told anybody so you find that out later um what was what what did that deal look like well so it was it was it first of all i was buying him outright i was buying him 100 he was going to become my associate afterwards right. Okay. Uh, I had to let go of the team members and then bring them back on, right? right, uh, right. They were rehired by me. Some at different 
structures, first of all, that had to be dealt with because he had two girls that, you know, uh, older hygienists who he was paying their full insurance benefit, you know, because they'd grown that. Uh, so I kind of had to work that out. Now I have the debt on the practice. I can't really afford to pay their salaries plus all that. I mean, their insurance monthly plan at the time was more than a cost for five in my family, you know? Right. right. I know. I know. So we had to negotiate a lot of that stuff. So there was a little bit of, you know, that's, that's just stuff that you have to deal with as a business owner, right? Like it's a new, new owner, new situation, but it worked out and it, and it ended up everybody stuck around and supported me, which was very good. I did. I, I had to compromise a lot in some ways more so um, than I wanted to initially, but I was willing to do that because I wanted to gain the team members trust and the patient's trust early on. Um, he worked two days a week but knew he was going to be cutting back. I was doing two days a week in that practice and doing, I was supporting myself by working in the other practice. And early on, I was still even doing some Saturdays. Like I was just like, I've got to have enough to pay it all. So early on, I was doing six days a week, right? What was was the note that you took on to buy the practice? Uh, We did it for 400. So you had like 450. So you got four something. You're probably down closer to four now after a couple of years. And now you're adding another four fifty. You're pretty much at a million dollars in debt almost, right? Yeah. 900, 900 grand somewhere in there. Yeah. Okay. So now, now let me ask you the same question. Does that change things now? Now that you're that much in debt? Uh, like when you sit down with your accountant, you look at the numbers and say, hey, look, this is what this practice is doing. This is what you're probably going to take home. This is what you got to pay on your student loan. This is what you got to pay on um, on uh, the, the debt Business of the practice. Yep, yep. It still was penciling out, but I had to, I, I knew, here's what, here's the two uniques, a couple of uniques in this deal, I guess. And the way I looked at this practice, first of all, you talked about personality of the selling dentist, Right. I knew this was going to be a good deal because before we had never, it took us a year and a half to even work out the deal of ownership. But when he took me on as an associate, he wrote a letter to all the patients. And in this letter, he said, I wanted to introduce, I was the first associate he'd ever had. He'd never had an associate. So I want you to introduce you to Dr. Weston Spencer. I've, I've gotten to know him over the last little while. I trust him. I want you to trust him. And I'm still going to be here. Nothing's going to change. And, um, he's going to be the one who's going to take over for me. Now, that's a strong sentence to say long before we've ever done the deal, right? Thanks, so we all is negotiating power. (laughs) Technically, yes, but he didn't look at it that way. I know, I know, but it sure does. kind of a guy. I will tell you this. We, when, when we put a, when I went to my accountant, he had his account, I had my account, my accountant was putting together the deal for us. We gave him three numbers to choose from, a low option, a middle option, and a high option, okay? I said, the high option is because, yeah, people are staying, this and this, and we had reasons, justification for all three of them, right? And I gave it to him. I said, what do you think? Like, you tell me what what number should you do? Uh, I said, I, I would do the middle one. This is why. He's like, he's like Wes, I, and this is where he gave me that conversation. If you take care of these people, I'm going to... I want to take, I'm going to take the lower one. He took the lower one and gave me, I mean, that was an extra 50, 75 K in the deal, probably on the lower option, taking the lower deal. You take care of these people. You take care of me, right? Like in terms of, you know, don't, 
kick me to the side or do any of these things. Give me a place to come show up and hang out with these patients that are my friends for as long as I want. The deal is yours. That's his personality, right? So that's the one you need. That doesn't happen everywhere. That was a very sweetheart deal, right? People say it, but very few of them will act all the way through on that. Correct. And he did. He, he to this day, he's been, I mean, we're still friends and I'd, I'd, I'd give him my shirt if I could, you know, he's, he's been that good to me. The other unique of this practice, he was a very, um, and he would said this, like very single tooth minded dentist. I was a little bit more comprehensive. So I knew I could bring something to the practice that was going to increase, right? The revenue just because of the way I did dentistry. And I was doing a lot of, of a lot more cosmetic dentistry and getting better at it, uh, working with a really good lab, accredited AACD accredited lab guy. So I knew I could bring a couple of new things to the table that weren't going to rock the boat really, but that would generate revenue that different than what he was doing, right? I wasn't doing root canals. I referred them out. In fact, the endodontist who I told you gave me the, I was sending all of him, all my root canals. He, I owed him. So the oral surgeon was across the hallway. Uh, my ortho, my orthodontist is across the hallway. My periodontist is across the street. So now my four key players that I refer to, I'm getting connected with are all here. I'm going to keep the reconstructive and the, and the, and the, um, and the cosmetic and I'm going to refer the other stuff out and they're going to refer those stuff back to me. Right. And so that was my game plan. This is how I'm going to grow this business. I'm going to bring more to the table. Uh, and I found kind of a unique way uh, to, you know, excite patients about doing cosmetic dentistry without overwhelming them. You know, and that was, if you've heard it called, like whether you call it a mock-up or whatever, I call it a smile test drive, you know, but I started doing a, you know, a stent with a temporary material style, you know, one to two appointment smile test drive on patients, giving them the chance to see like, hey, you just mentioned you don't like this and this and this about your smile. And you, before we ever decide anything, let me show you what it looks like. That's not gonna, I'm not going to charge you for it. And I found I was starting to do a lot of cases because of that. And they were coming out of the hygiene room, right? I wasn't even marketing it yet. Uh, and so that was a big step that I think started to kind of turn the the gas on just a little bit in terms of revenue. And we started to move the needle the other way and 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 kind of have a look back since. Where did you pick up your communication skills? You're a very effective communicator. Where did you pick <laughs> up some of those things? You want to know for sure? I told you I grew up in Utah, right? Spent two years on a mission for my church in Japan um speaking japanese trying to talk about you know our church and the gospel of jesus christ to people who were not christian and did not want to hear about it and uh, told me no a thousand times a day I would, we'd walk to a train station and you can imagine a six foot two white guy you know standing above a crowd with yep. a bunch of japanese people coming in and out of the train station you know saying hi introducing myself and everybody literally there's a word in japanese that they say kekko which means like, no thanks. So they're walking by really fast and they throw their hand up in your face and they say, Kiko, and then they move on, you know? And I just learned to not take it personal and uh, move on and have a thick skin and just try my best to, to, to work with what I had, you know what I mean? It's like, you, you, you got to learn to spark up something from the beginning and kind of get out of your, um, you know, that, that everybody, I think everybody has a little bit of introvert inside them. 
they're, they they do not always want to do that, but you got to find some way to kind of bring that out and, and spark in some way. So to, to answer your question directly, I feel like I directly correlate my ability to kind of communicate with people and get through tough spots and hard things and, and getting told no and, and, and uncomfortable situations from just having to do it in a different language for two years. Interesting. Interesting. I, I picked up right away. You have a very unique kind of delivery style. So I appreciate that. And I'm sure that sure helps you with all the other things that you got going on. Uh, yeah. I mean, you gotta, right. Like I, I always say this when I do lectures in dentistry, we are such a unique bunch of people. Don't you think dentists like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, we unique? wear a thousand hats. You, you, you want to use that day. word? Unique. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can think then, of a whole bunch of adjectives. <laughs> and we got to do it very all. Very much so. It is very, very true. It is very true. Yeah. And talk about in, in doing this podcast too, is one of the fun things is people from all over the country. And there's so many similarities and there's so many unique different things that when you meet someone, there's no way you can say, Oh, you must be big city. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. And then your practice must be because of that. Dot, dot, dot. No, wait a second. Yeah. You're in the middle of Manhattan you're a private fee for certain. Yeah. Oh, you're in the middle of Oshkosh, Wisconsin, or where we are, Binghamton, you know, like you're in these really remote areas. And, and if anything, you can do it anywhere you want and you can practice any style you want. Now with some of the education at Spear, did they talk a lot about things like the, cause I think the communication skill is so important, especially to younger docs to just, listen, understand, and present, like you're presenting to those people a solution or a feeling that they're going to get. And I think in cosmetics, it's probably a little bit easier to do that than a person who's not in pain that you're telling them they need X, Y, Z. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that for you, that road there. How did you get, what were some of the things that you, was Spear a big component of that? Talk a lot about that. Absolutely. So Frank does a really good job when you go to his seminars, right? And workshop. And he, if it, I mean, I'm sure most of your listeners have heard something from Frank Spear in their career, right? And if you go to his seminars, he always ends a lot of it in talking about like case acceptance or like his personal experience of taking over practice a lot, like what I just described, like having to take over for somebody, right? And like, how do you have that conversation where it's like, look, I know you've been taken care of by somebody really, really well for 25 years. But I see this, you know, going down this other road, you've got wear, look at this wear pattern that you have here. And let me show you what that looks like. And, and the reason why this tooth broke today, and it's not the only one, look at the teeth on the other side. And, and I understand that you um, have seen this dentist for 20 years. And I just want you to be open to an idea that I, I, I'm just seeing a little bit different. And it's not that, that I'm trying to be totally different than the last dentist. It's just I see it a different way and I have experience helping people to, you know, get through, you know, these these small things. Otherwise, I think we're going to go down a road where if we just fix it one tooth at a time, we're always going to be stuck in the same broken system. You know, I think we need to fix the system. If we fix the system, then we can start to have things last a long time and stop breaking. You know, that, those are the kind of things I'd learned from from Frank Spear that help me to get through the tough conversations early on of being the the young 
guy that doesn't have like I have white in my beard now. And so everybody respects me because I've been doing it for a long time. But when you're clean shaven with a tie on and you look like you're 22 years old and you're sitting in the chair trying to take over for the 60 year old guy, you know, how do you help gain trust with them? You know, and you got to, you know, take a unique approach sometimes. That's why, yeah, definitely if you get to show them and you learn how to like ways to describe things without, I always say too, whenever I talk to doctors, you got to find a way to communicate without talking all the time because communication is good, but communication isn't just talking, right? Communication includes pictures, includes examples. I use flowable now to show them how fixing this wear facet is going to, you know, change how their bite works and, and how it's going to work better now. Right. And those kinds of things. So learning those little tips and tricks are what I kind of got from sphere curriculum initially that kind of set me up. And then when I take photos and I, and I look at them and I sit at my desk and I kind of like, you know, start to sketch out and plan, you know, you know, treatment plan, you know, comprehensively, aesthetically. Um, that's where I, that's where I learned all that stuff. Then I could take my ability to talk to people in terms of showing them and, and helping to explain it well. And then, um, you know, try the other big thing I always say is like, um, I learned something. I don't know if I heard it on a podcast. I, maybe Gary Takas says this. I don't know where I learned this from, but I learned early that there's, and I picture it in my brain still to this day. Every time I meet somebody or I'm working on a patient, I'm about to, you know, say, Hey, let's do this. What do you think about that kind of thing? And I think about a bar graph, right? An X and a Y axis bar graph. And on the bottom, on the x-axis, is your trust level. Mm -hmm. And on the y-axis is the awareness level. Have you heard of this? Am I crazy? I'm, a, I, I'm with I, you. Go ahead. Um, so what you find is in case acceptance, the more, you know, if you're up in that far upper right-hand corner of high trust, high, high, trust, awareness, high awareness, yeah, patient's going to say yes. You can, you can build up all the awareness, show a bunch of pictures, do all these things. But if you've done something along the way or they're brand new, they may not have a lot of trust. So you're about to ask them to spend some money or do some things with you. And if one of those isn't in harmony, if they're not up on that higher side of the graph, you may not get a yes, right? So what do you need to do to build that? Do you need to build more trust or do you need to build more awareness? And how are you going to do that, right? Um, so I learned that early in that even when it just comes to you walk into a hygiene room, you got a crack on a tooth with a big silver amalgam, you know, and you could talk till you run out of breath of why you should probably replace that, you know, but you learn ways to say it a little bit quicker and, and, and get through that conversation a little earlier and you show the right kinds of pictures and you explain what you just saw an hour ago in the chair, you know, that you just fix one of these and that kind of stuff. And hopefully this patient's been with you for a year or two and you've shown that like, Hey, I'm not trying to overdo this here. You've learned to know that like, I'll call it like I see it. And I'm not going to overdiagnose on you so that you feel like I'm trying to pay off my student loan by next year. I think if you take your time, you, you buy a new practice from somebody, you've got to look at it. Like I've got a three to five year window here where I really need to build up patient's trust, you know, so that then you're in a position where all you need to do is create the awareness. The trust is already there and you're and you're riding in that high right end corner where you're getting case acceptance because they trust and you built up the awareness.
And what did you do with your team to help create that trust as well? Yeah, great question. So um, I early on thought that what was going to make me a great dentist and make as much profitability as possible is if I kept going to courses and becoming a better and better cosmetic and reconstructive dentist, right? If I just get better, more people are going to say, yes, my reputation's going to grow, all that stuff. And I was about two and a half, three years into ownership. And I was so focused on the clinical aspect of it. And I was just on a day-to-day basis, kind of like not like, Hey, it's a privilege to work here. And I like you and you like me and let's all work together. I wasn't spending the time on the culture of my practice as much. Right. And really, Hey, you know, take time out of the day on a, you know, monthly, quarterly, yearly basis to, to sit back and reflect and train and share that philosophy with them. Right. And talk about, this is what I'm going to do in hygiene. So this is how we can work together better. Um, you know, spend time together outside of the office. Uh, now I'm, uh, I don't know if you know, crown council is, if you've heard of crown council, they do a really good, they're, they're all focused on the culture of your practice. So you'll go to a seminar, you'll go to their annual event, uh, and it kind of moves around and you, you can take your team or you can go by yourself and you won't do any clinical dentistry training. You'll do all, um, culture based, training, you know, learn, you know, tips and tricks of working together better, better communication front to back, good handoffs, good morning huddles, all that stuff, right? So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that was a big turning point where I really saw a little momentum because then people, patients were saying, oh, you guys really like each other. Like, you guys are really nice to each other. I like that. You know, so that would build trust right away. I, I think the other part, though, too, is if you go in and take your example, right? I go in, I don't have any gray hair. I'm this 22-year-old, and I'm taking over the six-year-old. And you're having the conversation with the patient. If they have any question and you leave the room, they're going to turn to the assistant, the hygienist, and be like, is he full of shit or what? Yeah. And it, it takes... You know, and, and, you know, the common example, Howard Fran uses it all the time. You know, you sit there and you have verbal diarrhea when the person cracks off a cusp. You're like, well, you broke off the mesia buckle cusp and the discipline and oh, this and that. And yeah. Hanson, this can't support this. And I, I think you're going to need to cover this. And then you leave the room or or they turn to the assistant and they go, what do you say? He said, your tooth is cracked. You need a crown. Okay. Your tooth is broke. You need a crown. Like, hello. You know, but it's. It's that trusting part. And I, I was in your shoes too in 1991 when I bought my practice and dealing with the changeover and what was going to occur in a very, very small town too. Uh, I didn't, I was not buying into, well, it can only be done this way here. Um, yeah. So that's, that's interesting. So what did that look like? Cause you said, so you were, you went, so in five years, you went from 500 to 2.5. Yeah. Now, the the new associate dentist stayed on two days. Did he stay for the five years at two days, or did he drop down to one day? Yeah, no, he he, he kind of eventually um, wound down. Like I said, by the time we got up to uh, uh, near COVID time, uh, would also kind of help. We ended up building a new space, so um, I was starting to gain a lot of momentum um and was busy like now i was working there and and he uh was down to one day a week 
So I was now open five days a week. I opened up an extra day. I was working four and he was working one. Um, and we were growing out of this space. So I, uh, in our same building, we ended up building a, a seven op practice downstairs. And that's so where you, really you just it. moved it. You didn't add on. You just moved it to a new space. Yeah, I just moved the whole space downstairs and do a brand new space that kind of reflected the kind of dentistry we were going to do and and um, and our culture and just it looked fresh, it looked nice, it looked new. Um, when did you do this? What year did you do this? The month before uh, COVID started. Yeah, I finished. I moved January 2020. I mean, that you asked me about how I felt like if things change, like with loans, because now I took a build out loan. I was going to say, right? what's what's that loan look like now? Yeah, I had the build out loan. So we refinanced my old what was being paid off, did this, and then I had to add equipment to it. Right. As well. Did you right? did you ever did you ever try to get your student loan into one of these business loans? So it became at least a deductible. No. So going back to uh, from day one, I the unique about my student loan and like the timing. So I was in dental school in 2008, right? When the market crashed, Yep. the loan that I, the, co the loan company I started with in 2006 did not exist in 2008 anymore. A total higher education. They went out of business in 2008. So the only person that, that took on my loan, my loan went to the federal government, right? In 2010, at seven and a half percent on a whole bunch of big time grad plus loans, mm -hmm. right? My only option really was, and I had two kids. My only option was to do one of these 25 year, you know, repay plans based on my income and pay it off. And, and now there's strategies of dealing with that. So I've always, I mean, I've been paying, you know, as low as 500 a month, one year and as high as 25 to 3000 a month, other years, you know, depending on where my income's at. Uh, and now we're in this really weird, weird, weird time. We're going to find out a whole lot of stuff over the next few months of what's going to shape out uh, post-COVID and, and Biden student loan plans and stuff like that. But that's where, um, so I, I I had it, you know, manageable, right, from a personal standpoint. Sure. And then I've got practice loan, which is the main one. I mean, that's got to be paid and and that one's, 10, you know, eight, nine, $10,000 a month. Now, was right? that a 10 year note, five year note? How many years? 10 year. 10 year, yeah. So when you took yeah. the the building loan out, was that 10 or could you expand that to 15? Then, so I, I got everything. To, so what, here's here's a benefit of COVID, right? And then that what happened is the refinancing, the, the great refinancing years right after COVID mm -hmm. is that I had terrible interest rates that in 2020, when I took out the loan, I had like, I think it was eight thousand dollars or eight eight hundred thousand plus dollars, eight hundred thousand dollars plus on about anywhere from like four and a half up to six and a half on my equipment loans, right? And right before some of these loans, I got in it just under like three point two five percent on the whole thing, refinanced the whole thing in one nice package. But I kept the student loan outside on its own there, so. Doable, manageable, and we're two and a half years into that, you know, two and a half, three years into that. So so you talked about approaching the patients in like a little different, let's call it a different lighthouse, okay? Uh -huh. And what are some of the other things that you would say were the reasons also for the growth? Because 
you you didn't you didn't tell me like you didn't say I walked in and I started doing services that weren't being done here, right? Because mm-hmm. that's a common one. Oh, the doc doesn't do endo. I do endo. I can add that, right? Oh, the doc's not doing you know implants. I'll add implants. So there's always the complementary. So I yeah. can add these things. You didn't say that. You said you added you added a higher level of restorative for sure. Uh, so what were some of the other things that you attribute some of your growth and success to? A lot of them are some of the basics that I tell doctors. Like I, I write a personal note to every single new patient that comes in my office from day one when I started that, right? New patient walks in the door. Uh, I get an envelope on my desk. So within a couple of days, I write a personal note. Hey, thank you so much. I was so glad to, hey, thank you, Jill, for coming to my practice. was honored that you chose me and I really look forward to being your dentist in the future. And I did the same thing for patients that there were patients that left because they said, well, Dr. Lovell's gone. And so I don't know who this Dr. Spencer is, so I'm going to leave. And I would write a personal note to them. And I would say, hey, I never got the opportunity to, you know, really meet you. I know you're trying out a new dentist anyway, so I would invite you to try me out. You know, you're going to go try someone else out. You might as well try the guy that Dr. Lovell picked. And I've, I've kind of had a roundabout way of writing a note to everybody, you know, and I still do that. Like, like having that personal touch of, of making sure they know that I know them, I care about them, and I'm looking forward to being their dentist. Um, you know, they have access to me uh, when they need to, and I'm responsive. I, I, I'm surprisingly, like, a lot of people are afraid to give their contact out to their patients. I'm texting them and doing that stuff. But I don't have a lot of people abusing that. I really don't, you know. And so they have access to me. So they say you know, I'm the same thing. I have, I have five kids. You know how much it means when my wife can get a hold of the pediatric or her pediatrician when my kid's sick at night, you know? Like that guy has our business forever because this guy is willing to calm my wife's nerves when like my kid has strep throat at four in the morning, you know. And it may not be right away, but he texts us and he's like, do this, do that. And like, hey, that's how you run a business, like a, a true customer service based business that if you, especially if you're going to be feed for service, these five guys are going to pay a little bit more. They better get more, right, than what they're getting at their insurance based dentist who, you know, sees three times as many people. I see half the people that an insurance based dentist might see, but I have a good fee for what we do and make a good, you know, business off of that but i have to do the extra things a lot to be able to earn their their respect so that they stay here so i think that a couple of those little things um you know definitely um there was some hygiene that needed to be addressed for sure and we had to spend time with the hygienist talking about what a a perio maintenance was that that didn't a 4910 code did not exist when i bought the practice had never been done in the practice never been used. So we had to slowly, it took a long time to work that code in, you know, and, and some patients didn't understand why that was different and didn't understand what scaling and replaning was when it was necessary, you know? So there was some of that. So I attribute some of that, like, Hey, now we have a, a really pretty strong, robust, uh, hygiene program with good hygienists that believe to do the right thing when it's necessary. And, and uh, and do apparent maintenance with necessary, use the right appropriate procedures in the hygiene room. And that's really helped to grow the practice, you know, but that requires trust, right? You can't just 
diagnose scaling and root planning on every patient that walks into the door and expect everybody to say yes, right? There's got to be a little compromise. I'd rather have the patient in my chair, get through a cleaning and say, hey, look, we're going to need to do more here, but let's see you in three months, not six months and see what it looks like. And guess what? At three months, it's still bleeding like crazy and there's still deep pockets. I really do think you need to do this. Can we do, you know, this this year? And if not, then let's get through this year and let's do it next. You know what I mean? Those compromises, I think sometimes dentists, I think we draw a hard line in the sand because that's what we're recommending and we need it done now or else. And you've been doing this way longer than me, right? So you probably have way more stories of when maybe time, like you said to do something and they didn't do it and then it happened, right? And you could say that all day long, but we're in a business where like, we're not the good guys. They don't always trust us. And, you know, we have to deal with broken teeth and cavities and all this stuff. And we got to give, make them trust us right away. How do you, how do you ultimately get them to want to do those things, but not rush them into it right away? Right. There has to be a level of understanding. Like if there's a big cavity, you got to fix it right away. Right. But if there's something that can, take a couple of months to, you know, why don't we do this and let me see you in a couple of months. And, you know, that's on me. That might take a little extra half hour of my time to follow up and see how somebody's doing down the road and check and see if the first thing we did was right or not. And then I told them, I've done a handful of times, a bunch of times. Hey, I think this tooth needs a crown, but you told me you want to, don't want to do a crown. You want to do a filling today. Okay, I'll do it. And if in this next year, this tooth, you know, fails or something happens the first year, year and a half, I'll apply that towards the crown. Is that okay? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You know, people would say you're crazy, Dr. Spencer. That's your time. Yeah, that's true. But I certainly earn their trust and they don't stress about it. And when it, when it breaks, like it probably does, I got the crown and I lost a hundred bucks, you know, that that's the kind of stuff I think that maybe separated me from somebody else that was coming in a little hot and heavy early on. And yeah, I've been doing that process for years. Yeah, that just that just makes sense. I mean, I, I don't know if there's any other way to do it. Now, yeah. let's talk about the business of the practice because you said when you got into that practice, they were Delta Premier only, correct? Yes. When did you decide to change that or when did you decide to go completely out of network? Oh. We were able to maintain the premier relationship as long you as had to, you had to be a credential. You had to be credentialed now, right? Yep, correct. Now I was accredited in our deal structure. It was also unique, but we made a, a deal structure here where we were still able to utilize Dr. Lovell's relationship. I was just outside the window. I was I missed that 2014 window, right, where Delta Premier was still being sold to and, and uh allowed for for debt. Um you know, dentists who were taking over and stuff like that. So we were able to maintain that for as long as possible. But when Dr. Lovell started to get closer to retirement, it was like, oh, we have to do this. Like, and I knew I was, they were, they were saying to me when he retires, Dr. Spencer, you either have to sign the Delta PPO contract or go out of network. So it was going to be one or the other. And I knew we had already gained way too much momentum for me to go back to Delta PPO. Yeah, when, you, so, when you're growing the way you're growing, I would think that you'd make that decision early. No, but that's the little, there's this little guy on my shoulder saying, Dr. Spencer, if you go out of network, people are going to leave and da 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 Stop right there. Stop right there. Yeah. I just want people to hear that, right? Here's a guy 
that you're listening to, super successful, no question about it. And even he had as his five times the growth from 500 to 2.5 in five years. Not many people can say that. And he is, and you still are saying, I had somebody on my shoulder telling me, you got to stay in, you got to stay in, you got to stay in. So there's this, there's this entity that we think has a seat at the table with us all the time. Uh, yeah. So it's it's Not okay. True. It's okay to feel that. When did you? Yes. So you got over it because almost you were forced to. Yes, it was it was forced on me, and I knew it. But for years, I've been telling myself it is the right thing to do. I'll just I'll just kick it down six months down the road. I'll just kick it down. I'll just kick it down. And and what I'm here to say is that um, I did. I there was a handful of pages. There a handful. There's probably I wrote a I wrote a note to every single one of them that left. Right. Uh, if they did, like I did, I did the letter thing. We, we talked about it in the practice for a year, you know, as we were yeah. going through the transition, I, I made, you know, sometimes special accommodations for people, just try me out, just, just try this out and see. And most of them that tried me out stayed, but I probably wrote, you know, 30, 40, I don't know, 50. I'm trying to remember how many total now it's been on a year and a half. Um, of those letters I wrote said, Hey, I have loved being your dentist. And if anything changes, I would still love to be your dentist, you know? Um, but now my hygiene fee doesn't get cut in half, you know? Um, so, and patients are paying up front. The Delta patients who are still here are paying up front for those. And we do, we do the insurance. I have an outsourced biller. So she will do the billing for the Delta patients and the check goes to them. But, um, you look back on it and I'm like, God, like our collections have never been, a, you know, my collection rate is even better. My percentage of collections from that is better. And, uh, and we never really, we didn't, we definitely didn't see a dip in collections by any means. So I'm here to say like, yeah, it's, it's scary. You, you tell you this guy on your shoulders always telling you, oh, there's something around the corner that's just not going to work out that you, you know, it's not going to happen. And, and, and you just. And it's not real. It, we make that up. We really do. Um, do you dive into your, it sounds like you, you sound a little more like myself. Do you really dive into your numbers? It doesn't sound like you really do. It doesn't sound like you really break it down. Like, well, Delta's of 30%. And then this, like, it just seems like this is the right thing to do. It's relationship based. It's more of a visceral type of management style than it is an analytical mathematical type of stuff. Would you say? I'm a, yeah, I'm a, I'm a 60, 40, probably there's, there's 40 percent of me that I'm always, I mean, I love my practice management software and I looking at my KPIs and I'm looking at my reappointment rates and I'm looking at that stuff a lot, but I also kind of like, just feel like I've been here long enough and I know that if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm still somehow I know everybody talks about customer service, but a lot of people have a hard time actually carrying it through. Yeah. Actually you putting it on the line and say, I'm going to do the right thing when it matters for this person, even though I might lose a couple hundred bucks. I'm going to do the right thing when it matters. I just want to emphasize that. Because you can talk about it. You can do, you know, lecture speak, like in basketball, right? It's, well, that that's coaches speak. And that's when you go to clinics and coach comes out and they use coach speak. But when it matters, right, when that person is up in your face, I always talk about it like, 
Matt, this was a doc told me when I was an associate. When that person comes up and they have you cornered against the wall, what are you going to say? Right? When you strip away all of the niceties and it comes right down to your core being, what's written on your tombstone, what what comes out of you, you know? Yeah. And that is so true. And I think you just nailed it right there. What do you do when it matters most? Yeah. And it's it's easier said than done. But when it comes up and you're faced with it, you got to make that choice and you say, hey, look, I'm going to. I, I've given away so much dentistry in my, you know what I mean? I'm sure if I, if I didn't discount slash write off or, you know, make it right or, you know, give away this hundred dollars there, you know, for that exam, I mean, there's probably another $5 million, I don't know, on the table there, but it's like, I, I don't want to stress over that. I just want to show up to work. And, and ultimately, even though I'm a dentist, people want to, you know, come in and they always say like, I don't like the dentist, but I like you. Like, I like you. I know you got to do what you got to do, but I like you, you know, and I'm going like, to. What, what, one thing we do, like when you go into a, you know, a tooth treatment plant for an occlusal filling, let's say, and you go in, you do the occlusal and, you know, there's, there's decay underneath the mesial. Now you're doing an MO, right? Huh. Well, we gave you a treatment plan and an estimate for occlusal. Let's call it a hundred dollars. An MO is 150. Well, we're going to show $150 and we're going to put that on the form, but you're going to see a $50 write-off because we're going right. to honor our estimate to the penny. And that's that just... so much easier. I mean, it only took you five more minutes. And yet, technically speaking, you did that. And for your note's sake, you want to show that you did the MO, right? Yeah. You got to, like, hey, that's my MO. You don't want to be five years down the road and be like, did I do that? I swear I just did an occlusal. Right. And that causes the problem. Yeah, it's so much easier to do that. And then you sit the patient up and say, hey, look, it got worse, but I don't I don't want to make you – I don't want to have you sit here to have to make a decision about whether you need to pay more for that or do anything like that, you know. Um, it, it goes so much better, you know. Those are the kinds of things that I think separate where if, you know, to – you know, when you're talking about insurance dentistry, like, you have to do twice as much. Right. In order to everybody has the same overhead. Everybody wants to make have the same goal for the end of the year, what they want to take home. But you got to see more people, which means less time with the patients. It means less ability to sit there and communicate and talk about these little details. It's going to make the difference. So for everybody that always has is nervous about that. Yes, your schedule might get a little lighter depending on what phase of of, of practice you are in. But you will fill that time with higher fee dentistry, talking and communicating with patients about why it's necessary, and more patients will say yes. That that's what I believe. You're preaching to the choir. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, any uh, last pieces of advice that you'd like to share? That was great. I should end it right there, but uh, I gotta get one more. What would you think? No, it's been fun. Like, I love just talking about it, you know, because you don't always get to get into the, the like, the nitty-gritty of what makes the difference. I will say this, and 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 I don't have any compensation or anything for anybody if if they there was been one other tool that grew the cosmetic side of my practice more than anything, and, it, and it's a tool I use almost daily to communicate with patients before they come to my practice, and that's Smile Virtual. It's a it's a virtual tool of an ability for me to do a virtual consult for somebody before they come to the practice. Smile virtual. Smile virtual app on a phone or something. What is it? It's a it's a it's a software um, that 
if like all of my call, I, I am now I'm, I feel like I'm a good marketer. I, I like to market. And once you understand how to do dental marketing, well, then it's just a numbers game, right? I know if I put in X amount, I'm going to get the, you know, two X, three X, four X out on the other end. And as long as it's in that direction, I'm good spending the money on marketing. Right. So anything you do in marketing has to have a very strong call to action, right? You can't just, Hey, I'm a good dentist. I want to be your dentist and hope they pick up the phone. You got to drive them somewhere, a landing page, your website, you know, to your office, whatever. All of my call to actions and everything outside of the practice drives to a small virtual landing page where it basically says, and it's cosmetic related, obviously, where it says, hey, take a picture of your smile. Tell me what you want fixed. I'll respond with a personal video consult myself to you at no cost, um, talking about you know the options, um, whether you can trust me, show you you know what I've done this life, and I'll tell you the cost of what I think just based on your pictures, what we could do, right? And I'm giving them fees over that before they ever even come to the practice. And what I found is that weeds out a lot of the people that are just like just you know looking, tire right? Kick, tire kickers, yeah, yeah. And then the people who show up in my practice the next week after confirming, after seeing my virtual consult and they say, they hit the button and say, yes, I'm ready to schedule. My team reaches out and gets them on the schedule and we meet. All of the, everything's been pulled out from behind the curtains, right? They already know the cost. Now it's just a matter of like, okay, is how am I going to accomplish what I talked about? And sometimes that changes a little bit, but most of the time it's not far off from what they're looking for. Um, and so that's how I that's how I try to build trust with patients before they ever come to the practice. Mm-hmm. So if you can find a way to work in virtual consults, if if you don't use Smile Virtual, I will say the simplest, cheapest, it's totally free, easy way to do a virtual consult for a patient is a is a Chrome extension on your Google webpage uh, called Loom L O O M Loom. It can record your screen. So if you have a new patient coming next week and you have their email and you want to record a quick little video console just to like introduce yourself before they even come to the practice and say hey tommy i saw that you're coming to the practice next week this is you on your little virtual screen i just want to introduce myself I'm dr weston spencer i look forward to meeting you can't wait i bet your cancellations go down right and i bet your trust level just skyrocketed by the time that guy sits in your chair so you could send out a little virtual. So virtual consults to me are probably the best way to build trust on day one, right? So you do you doing teledentistry? When, when did, did that kick off? Well, I don't know. I mean, not teledentistry in terms of like charging a code for it. It really is a tool. And I've been able to work out my own personal little system of keeping it to just a couple of minutes. It really is short. It doesn't take enough of my time. But if I'm dealing with a high-end, you know, reconstructive cosmetic patient that's going to spend a good amount of money to do the treatment, you know, five minutes of my time, you know, for them to more likely say yes at the end of the day is, is worth it every day of the week, right? So, um, but no, I don't. You, the technical teledentistry where I put it as a code and maybe charge it out that way, I wouldn't call it that. I would just call it what I call a virtual console, just communicating with your patients virtually because that's what they want, right? They're used to getting a little, you know, seeing everything on their phone anyway. So if you can get out in front of them before they ever come and meet you, uh, you know, it's great, great tool. That that really helped build my practice. That that to me, 
besides the basic stuff we talked about, that right there really turned that curve on for me and really got a lot more people coming in and, and saying, oh, well, I liked you because you broke it down for me really, really simple. I never use the word incisal ledge, buckle corridor, uh, dart, you know, all those. I never use any of those words in a virtual cons. I just talk to them like another person, uh, tell them what I see and, and say this is how much it would cost per tooth, you know, if you want to do that. But love to meet you. If anything, at the end of the day, if I just help you along your journey to make a decision, great. I would love to meet you. Let me know if we can uh, have you in the office. Click this button below if you want to schedule an appointment. That's it. So there you go. I'll leave that that little piece of well, virtual That is a call yeah. to action. Final question has nothing yeah. to do nothing to do with dentistry. This is a go back in time. You can go back in time, any place, time, where, with anyone, or do anything, or see anyone, or talk to anyone. Where would you go, and why? You're talking outside of dentistry. In life, you want to go back and meet Moses. You go back and meet Moses. You know, like whatever. Oh man. God, can you, the first thing that comes to mind is, can you go back in time and talk to yourself when you're a teenager? Do it. I well, do that. You, do it. I mean, the, the fun part is, kid. what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Just go with that thought. That's that. it. Because I tell you what, I, there was a lot of years I struggled as a teenager, you know, like with confidence and, and, um, friendships and man you think junior high and high school that that is everything that's going to be it for the rest of your life yeah yeah you don't realize how much time you got to work out all this stuff you know and don't take yourself so darn seriously at that point i wish teenagers understood that that's the biggest thing that i see in our culture today and i would go back and tell myself that man you got time like don't worry about that you got denied by this girl today so what there's going to be a hundred million more of them out there, you know, like all that stuff. I'd go back in time and tell myself, take it easy, enjoy the ride. And like, and, and there's plenty of time to accomplish other stuff. Um, there's plenty to learn. So I, I guess that that's what comes to mind first is, is I think we all take ourselves way too seriously, especially in those, you know, budding early years. Um, that's, and, pure, uh, that's pure honesty, man. That's what we're looking for. Just, yeah. just what, what comes to mind. That's been the best part of this. People, I didn't really thought about it. Could have done this. No, no. It's what, what comes into your mind first is fun. Yeah. So appreciate you very much, Wes. And thank you very much for sharing. Uh, I have your contact information. I'll put it on the show notes. Is there anything else you'd like me to list? Just send it. To oh, me. I would just say, yeah. Um, best way to ever communicate with me or, or, um, any questions come up? I, I I love communicating with dentists. And if they ask me a question, like, how do you do this? Or what do you think about that? So if you follow me on Instagram, at Dr. Weston Spencer, D-R Weston Spencer uh, is my handle there. You can DM me and I love just being able to connect and uh, bounce ideas off each other. That That's honestly where I get so many of my good ideas now, how to be a better dentist going on i mean i go to a lot of conferences and i learn there but i learn from other dentists just by communicating with them on a daily basis so all right folks at dr weston spencer you got it thank you. you thank you very much absolutely appreciate your time buddy thank you thanks for listening to the fee for service dentist podcast if you would like to share your fee for service story 
please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our fee-for-service dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.